Hi, I'm Sharon Vaughn, and you're listening to MCO Woe, a podcast giving you a look inside the hearts of the women in our communities, encouraging you to quit comparing and start connecting. Our guest on this episode will inspire you with her resilience before, during, and after Hurricane Michael, a Category 5 storm which devastated her home, where her husband remained while she and her children evacuated. After living in a camper in her driveway for seven months, she and her family have started anew, and this is her story. I'm here today with my guest, Emily Howell. Emily and I met during a very stressful time um, during our evacuation for Hurricane Michael from the Panhandle in Gulfport, Biloxi area at an amazing residence inn. That was our little home away from home for a few days. Um, I I met Emily uh, because we were in the public area of the hotel in the restaurant area, and I overheard um, Emily's mom um, talking about their concerns for Emily's husband. It was the day the hurricane was hitting, um, basically battering Panama City, and um, I might get a little emotional because I, now that I'm talking about this, I remember it so clearly. Um, and they were wondering how he was. They had not heard from your husband. And we were sitting in the lobby of this residence and watching weather videos of this massive cyclone of destruction that was being described to us as catastrophic. I started wondering about your husband. I started wondering, these little boys are wondering about their dad because they're going to come in here and see this television and, and wonder, um, is their dad okay? I think I probably had a, a ugly cry face when you saw me. It was a very raw and real moment, and I could not help but to connect with you and to tell you because I had been through something similar. I looked at you, and you don't know what your entire life looks like in that moment. You're sitting on a spindle, not knowing what what tomorrow brings. We go back to that moment in that residence inn. What were you thinking? First of all, I thought I was being quiet. And I didn't think that, like, I didn't even acknowledge that people could be listening So we were sitting in that corner booth and that was the day that I couldn't, I tried so hard to hold it together for the boys. And my mom kept saying, Emily, you have to be strong for them. But I absolutely couldn't at that point. I just, I couldn't think of anything but waking up at 4 a.m. to an alarm on my phone saying that it had been upgraded to a category four and that my home was going to be taking a more direct hit. And he was there. And I mean, of course, all I could think about was losing him. And I just kept saying, I don't care about the house as long as he's okay. We did lose the house, but not him. Uh, And you grew up in that Panama City area. Yes. So not your first hurricane. Um, Is this the first time that you actually evacuated for a hurricane? Actually, yes. In my adult life, yes. Um, And I wasn't going to evacuate this time. Wow. Um, My husband works out of town, Mm -hmm. and he was actually in Alabama working before the storm. He took me to Nashville for my birthday, 
And I think we left either that Wednesday or Thursday before the storm. Like just before? Just before, yeah. Wow. Um, we had been in Nashville for my birthday and had a great time. And then on the way back on Sunday in the airport, I looked at my phone and I said, there's a storm headed in our direction. And he said, yeah, it'll be okay. And we really didn't even think anything else about it until we got home and everyone was pretty much panicked. So I did the, you know, the normal precautionary stuff, like get water and all of that. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I don't think that you can really be prepared for something that huge. No. To be without power for 20 days and, and all that. <clears throat> but I mean, I wasn't going to evacuate. I, I said, I told my mom that Travis was coming into town and I wasn't leaving. I said, he doesn't think it's necessary to evacuate. We're not leaving. And she was panicked. So I made her a promise that Monday night, I would stay up all night long and watch the news. And so I did. I just turned it on like all hours of the night because I couldn't sleep. And basically prayed the entire time because I wanted it to turn or just go away. Yeah. And when I woke up at like 4 a.m. and turned the news on, it was even more headed in our direction. So I didn't even unpack my suitcase from Nashville. <laughs> I had it already packed and I packed the boys and we met my parents at 6 a.m. in my driveway and we evacuated. And I got, I just got our clothes. Yeah. I didn't even get any, any of our like important That's documents or anything like that. Yeah. I didn't yeah. even, I was in denial, I guess, because my husband was saying that it was going to be okay. Right. And we lived in an old home. It was built in 1985. He grew up there. Oh. We bought it from his parents. And he said, Emily, this house is strong. It's been through every hurricane. It's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. So I talked to my neighbor. My neighbors across the street, they were not leaving. Mm -hmm. They lived in a really big new brick home though. So I think that they felt pretty confident they were going to be okay. Um, and my neighbor Holly that was behind me was staying because her husband was saying the same thing. It was going to be okay. The hardest thing was leaving Travis and yeah. he wasn't home yet. He right. was in route home. And I just kept saying, please leave with us. And he said, I'm not, I'm just not going to do it. And I even contacted a friend of mine, Brooke Powell, that works for emergency management services. And I'll never forget, I messaged her like 8.30 Monday night and said, what do I do? And she said, I sent my mom and my kids away, if that tells you anything. Yeah. It was a while before you guys actually heard from him, right? I mean, I can remember that night seeing you, like, I, I don't remember which day. Was it Tuesday night? It was actually, I think Wednesday morning at breakfast, you probably witnessed my breakdown when that was when I woke up to that notification on my phone that it had been upgraded and it was too late to leave. Mm -hmm. So I immediately turned on the news and Facebook and I was seeing all of the local news stations saying the bridges were closed and it was too late to leave. So there was nothing he could do. My sister and my nieces and my brother-in-law were there and my husband was there and 
So everyone you loved, it's like, except for your nuclear, like your parents and your sons were with you, but everyone else there. So were you playing out the worst case scenario in your head? Yes. At that point, yes. I did not know where he was, how he was, anything until about, I think, 10 o'clock that night. I got a really staticky phone call and it was him and he said, I'm okay. And he said, I'm going to lose cell service there. The towers are like broken. And I just said, is it bad? And he said, it's really bad. And I just said, is it bad? And he said, it's really bad. And I don't even think I asked about the house then. Mm -hmm. So after that initial time, did you, were you still concerned that something maybe could have happened to him after that? I was actually very concerned because at some point I talked to my neighbor, Holly, the one that lived behind me that was not leaving. She somehow got word that our house was really bad and our, our whole neighborhood was really, really bad. So then I was concerned, did he have a safe place to stay? Right. And then I kept seeing online or on Facebook, all of this stuff about looting, which was actually right down the road from our house. One person got shot. Was he able to protect himself? He was. That's good. He said that he slept every night in the recliner armed. Prepared to protect your home and, and himself. And our walls were opened up. So how many days was it until you were able to go home and actually see him and see your home? Um, against my parents' wishes, um, I was determined to go home on Saturday. Okay. We made our way to Destin on Friday. Okay. And we left that beautiful residence in where everyone was so nice and accommodating and everyone there had been through Katrina, like all of the workers there and the staff. I mean, everyone. Yeah, it was bad there. Yeah. Right. So they all knew what we were going through and they were so accommodating and so kind. And we left there and went Friday to Destin. When we got there, I said, I'm spending one night here and I'm going home. But she said, the roads are closed and you can't get in. And I said, well, I'm going to try. So that night we went to Lowe's and got gas cans and I filled them up with gas and I got stuff that I thought that we would need back home. And on Saturday morning, we made the drive and it was fine. I mean, it looked fine. And then we got onto Highway 79 and I saw more fallen trees. Like the closer we got to home, it didn't look like home. It looked like, it basically looked like a bomb exploded there. But I couldn't even recognize my road. I passed it actually. I pulled up and there was just glass and debris everywhere. And it was, it was sad, but I mean, we saw him and it was okay. I think he might've even been on the roof when we got there. So leading up to this, were the boys with you? The whole time. What did you do to get your boys through that week leading up to that drive home? Honestly, a lot of prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we would just hold hands and pray. I mean, 
not just for Travis, but for our community. And I mean, the more pictures we saw, it, I knew it was, it was bad. It was really bad. And I mean, all I could, all I could read was these horrible stories about people online or on Facebook and people had nothing and lost everything. And we just prayed. And I tried to shelter them from a lot of it, but I also wanted them to know what was going on. Um, how old are they? Nine and seven. So, I mean, they're intelligent young men. They know what's going on. They're not stupid. Right. They, they hear it. They see it. So how did you communicate with them? I think just, I, I tried to be honest with them, but also a little guarded. I mean, I didn't yeah. say, Hey, we're going to go back and everything's going to be complete devastation. I just said, guys, it's, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's bad and it's, it's worse than anything we've ever gone through and it's going to look different and it's not going to look like home. I tried to prepare them because I didn't want them to be in complete shock when we got there. Yeah. And I just remember like, well, and even now as an adult, the unknown to me is scarier than anything. 100%. Yeah. So I felt like if I prepared them that it's not going to look the same, it's not going to look like your home. Mm -hmm. We can't stay there. And that was the hardest part was not being able to go home. My youngest son just kept saying, mom, I just want to go home. And he did. He just wanted to go home and play with his toys and be in the comfort of our own home again. But I didn't know how to tell him that it was never going to happen. So I tried to think of ways to keep them busy. So when we were in Gulfport evacuated Thursday, we went to see a friend of mine that lived there and they played and it was nice. And we talked about happy stuff. And I just tried to keep them as busy as possible. But inside, I was also completely freaked out. When you had your moments, when you had to be strong for your boys, how did you maintain your own strength? Was, was your mom able oh, to help yeah. you that? Yeah. Oh, yes. 100%. Like, at, at one point, she asked me if they could just come down to her room and hang out. Yeah. Because she knew that they didn't need to see me fall apart. And... It was more anxiety than anything, I guess, because I didn't know what to expect. And it was just, I just saw so much bad on the mm -hmm. news and on Facebook. And I didn't see that anything was going to be okay at that point. But I mean, I couldn't have gotten through it without my parents at all. There's no way. And she was there to talk me through it. She was like, nope, you have, where is your faith? Mm -hmm. And that helped tremendously. We pulled up at my sister's house first and we all hugged and cried and it was wonderful to see everyone. We then drove to my house and we passed my husband and my stepdad on the road into our house. So they turned around and they met us at my house. All I wanted to do and all those little boys wanted to do was just go home. Yeah. And I guess in my like, unrealistic thoughts. I thought that we could just go home mm -hmm. and just go sleep in our beds and everything was going to be okay. And once you get home, you know, you feel like, Oh, okay. I'm home. Everything's okay now, but it wasn't. So, I mean, instant relief when I saw all of us together and okay. So 
now you're in, I'm just going to say outside of Birmingham because that's a city that people are familiar with and mm -hmm. you are in a town where you have no family. Right. And do you know anybody, like when you moved there, did you know anyone else that lived there? No and one. No one. Not one person. So you like in less than a year, you have moved your entire life and you, I know you say you got closure because you were able to tie everything up there, but is it weird for you now you're living in a town that's beautiful? You go outside, all the houses look normal and the trees are straight up and down. I mean, what is that like for you? It's nice and it's refreshing and it's a, it's a welcomed change. Mm -hmm. But I also feel a little bit of guilt and I wanted to be 850 strong, like yeah. with our community and, and stay for the rebuild. But I mean, we couldn't obviously because of Travis's job. And it also wasn't healthy for my children. I recently went home and I mean, I have a beautiful home now. And I mean, our trees are standing upright and it's beautiful. And all of these people back home don't have that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, we've, there's still tarps on the roofs there and we're, and we're approaching 10 months now. I mean, you'll see people sitting in chairs on their front porches and their houses are caved in or, or still have a tree. Yeah. So now that you're removed from it and you go back, what, I mean, can you, how do you offer your, cause you've been rejuvenated in some ways, right? You've been made whole again when you go home and you see your mother who is, exposed to this every day. She's still living it. It's an exhausting existence. Yes. Um, like how do you offer yourself to that? Or do you, are you preserving yourself? Cause I'm wondering how you're handling that internally. I just, I mean, I listen because ultimately I feel like when somebody's talking, they need to be heard. And if they're talking about a subject that they're passionate about, which is what they're living. I feel like you need to listen. So I do listen and I can relate because it's very real and I understand the emotions and the feelings. And I say that, I mean, I, I say, I understand, you know, completely. Mm -hmm. And I also say, look at us. I mean, people don't usually get a fresh start in life mm -hmm. and we did. Yeah. So, I mean, there is an end in sight for a lot of people, but for some, I'm afraid that they are, are never going to rebuild. I mean, right. it's sad, but I mean, my parents will be fine and they're buying mm -hmm. a beautiful home and, and my family will be fine. But, but my heart goes out to those people who still right. don't have an end in sight. Yeah. And there are a lot of people like that and it's really hard to acknowledge. We went to Disney for spring break. Um, and actually my youngest son's seventh birthday, we met so many people from all over the United States that had no idea about the hurricane. So I've heard that from people here actually mm -hmm. in Birmingham. Um, people, if they ask where I'm from and you know, what brought us here and I say, you know, I share a little bit of our story because I try not to go into it. I say, you know, we're from Panama city and, you know, we're here. We lost our house in a hurricane. And they're like, we've been to the beach. It's beautiful. And I always say, you know, it didn't hit the beach. Right. You have to go over the bridge. Once you go over the bridge, you see the devastation. It just starts. It hits you. It's horrible. Yeah. I was one of 
many is what they don't understand. Right. Like, that exactly. lost their home. Yeah. How are, how are the boys doing like with the new, like they're going to start a new school this year? They're doing really well. And yeah. I'm really proud of them because change is terribly scary for me. Yeah. But my oldest son who is a little anxious like me mm -hmm. sometimes actually had the best outlook on this. He was the most excited about it really? before any of us were excited. He was so excited. My younger son, he was a little sad to leave our home and he just keeps saying, I just want to go home. Yeah. But I mean, I think now he, he realizes <clears throat> that we can't just go home and he loves this new home and there's children in the, in the neighborhood that he awesome. plays with. It's been great. Mm -hmm. And they're going to start a new school and they're both excited about it. Okay. That's great. So seeing them be okay has really helped me. Yeah. What have you done for yourself? Like since you, you know, obviously you're getting into the new house, you're decorating what you like to design and, and create spaces. So have you had a, have you, has that kind of helped you? It's been amazing. Yeah. Decorating a home that was an empty, an empty palette. I mean, it's, I've been painting furniture. I love to paint and restore oh, yeah. old pieces of furniture. Yeah. I've been doing that again. Okay. And, um, actually painted several pieces for my new home and, decorating is so much fun mm. and I've lost like 18 pounds. So that feels great. Um, amazing. I'm cooking every single night in my kitchen, which is amazing to have a kitchen mm. and we have a pool and it's beautiful. Mm. We sit out on the back porch. There's lightning bugs everywhere. here. It sounds magical. It is. I mean, it really is. And it's good because of what we had Living in a camper for seven months or seven and a half months, however long it was, makes you appreciate things like a bathroom with a closing yeah. door. Being there with them by myself without my husband, you know, there's a, a black tank and I won't go into too much detail because I don't want to be gross, but on a camper and you have to dump that. You know, when I was all gung-ho about, you know, camping in the driveway until we finished school and letting, letting us letting the boys finish school and me finish my job. Um, I, I did not take dumping tanks into consideration at all. Yeah. But you did it. Like, so basically you've actually survived this huge trauma. You've mm -hmm. gone from being the most scared. I mean, have you ever been more scared in your life than you were when you didn't know if your husband was alive? No, that, that tops it all right there. Is this the hardest, like most traumatic thing you've ever been through in your life? Probably the second most. Really? Do you care to share what the first thing was? My dad passed away when I was 12 years old. Oh my gosh. And it was in a, a car accident. Oh wow. That was very wow. traumatic. But, and you know, we talked about before we recorded the marriage mm -hmm. that you, of people that you see and you idolize. Mm-hmm. It was that between it was gone. Mm -hmm. and then that it was, was and then it was gone in heartbeat. Gone. Mm -hmm. So my mom, I mean, it was horrible on her. I was twelve. My sister was fifteen. It was horrible. Mm -hmm. But again, I just feel like we survived. Yeah. 
it wasn't pretty and it wasn't, I mean, but we survived. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. We went through that for a reason though. I mean, yeah. I feel like everything happens for a reason. I have an amazing stepdad. Um, he is the only grandfather to my children and is amazing. Mm -hmm. So that's beautiful. And what else can you do if not to see the, the gifts and the experiences that we have? Right. Mm -hmm. And I try to, that's what I've tried the hardest to teach my children throughout this whole mm -hmm. process. And I mean, I'm kind of glad that we went through it. My kids did not do without before the storm. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's mostly my fault. I mean, but, but that's what we do. Right. Right. We tend to spoil our children. And I mean, they were definitely not spoiled while living in a camper. And yeah, I mean, we went to church every Sunday and for a while it was in the parking lot and we watched, mm -hmm. you know, our church was in the background, our broken church. I mean, right. It was devastated. And then, you know, they saw people show up to church on Sunday in their work clothes and people that had lost everything. They're worshiping and just being mm -hmm. thankful. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm glad that they saw that. Yeah. I feel like they're going to be better because of that experience. Because you survived and because you are now where you're at and you can reflect on it and they will, they're old enough that they will always reflect on it. Like for the rest mm -hmm. of their life, they will be able to remember this experience. So yeah, I mean, these are lessons that you can't, you can't pay for these lessons. There's no right. school. There's nothing you can create or teach them that will actually give them right. this. They, they witnessed people giving, <clears throat> like, I mean, those first couple of days after the storm when we were home or when mm -hmm. we got home, there were people from all over, from different churches who would just drive up and say, yeah. what do you need? I'll never forget this group of women from a church in Niceville drove up in this SUV and they asked if we needed anything. And my husband said, Emily, do not take anything from them because there are people who literally don't have anything and we are better off mm -hmm. than them. So I said, For your boys to hear that you. too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I just, I told them, no, thank you. And, and so anyway, she said, is there anything that we can do for you? And I just said, just pray. And she grabbed our hands right then and there with my children and prayed for us. And again, a connection with a complete stranger, the compassion, nobody right. is saying, and, and I, I go back to like the whole, you know, the reason that I want to do this is because sometimes we, it's easy to say, oh, walk a mile in somebody's shoes. But then you walk up into the grocery store and you're like, that lady should have looked in the mirror before she came right. to public. We're uh, all guilty of that. We are so guilty of it. It's human nature. But if you can like program yourself to say, maybe I should consider, and I probably take it to the extreme. I'm an empath. Like I can't help but look at someone and be like, oh my gosh, like I hope they're okay. You know, to just retrain ourselves to say like, wow, they must've had a hard day or maybe their power is out or maybe they just went through a hurricane. So right. instead of judging them instead of comparing what we think that they should look like or or act like or how they should be to have a little compassion we are all you know going through very similar struggles we just don't know about right and and this these people that you don't know from like basically two hours away from you you know came and were praying for you which i think is so intimate 
because it comes from this beautiful intention of like, I genuinely want the most powerful forces in the universe to help you right now. Like I'm not thinking about myself and I'm thankful to have met you. You definitely have affected me and just to see your strength and your grace, you know, in, in handling this trauma. What is your, and I don't know the best way to ask this, but like in your family and your relationship, especially with your husband, like what is your role? During the, I mean, like the storm survival yeah. stage, uh, living in a camper, um, I didn't do anything very well, I feel like. Um, I was a little bit depressed. I still, I was still mom mm-hmm. and had homework to do with my children every mm-hmm. night and spelling words to study and multiplication cards every night and um, had to keep it together for them. And, you know, like I didn't cook because mm-hmm. everything that I tried to cook on my oven the size of a shoebox, I burned. And so we ate out way too much. Um, I probably complained to my husband way too much. Um, it was not a, it wasn't an easy time. Now I'm really working on myself and I want to be the best mom and wife I can be. And my role now is I'm, I get to stay home and be a stay at home mom and cook meals and do everyone's laundry. And Mm -hmm. I appreciate it so much. I'm kind of excited about this new role that I get to take on. I get to enjoy everything. Mm-hmm. I guess where before living in the camper, I was just basically surviving. Yeah. And I was probably a little more short tempered than I should have been. And um, just, I guess, a mess. Yeah. Even though you want to be strong for your family, your husband, and your kids, like you have to, you have feelings too. Right. You're allowed to have your feelings, feel your feelings. Right. And now it's just interesting to hear you say, because I can totally agree with you, that your level of gratitude is just heightened. Right. And that's just a very good perspective on things because it's true. Like every little thing is so special. It's definitely put a lot of things into perspective. I still can't believe, I mean, how much you've done in the last 10 months. It's really, this is so much that you've been through. Like, are you, do you... Feel like there's anything you need to forgive yourself for because you're really hard on yourself it sounds like for what you went through which is natural do you need to work on that more like forgiving yourself oh, yeah. i am the that is the hardest that's a really bad trait of mine i'm really really hard on myself yeah and i was really 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 hard on myself then yeah because i was i was in a bad mood and I just, you know, I, our, our living conditions weren't great. You know, it was, I was a grouchy mom to them a lot, probably when I shouldn't have been. And, and they were just being children. Mm -hmm. And I mean, they were surviving too. They were also going through something. I I really hope that you'll spend some time because it sounds like they're doing great. And it sounds like their resilience is such an important word, right? Like you are so resilient. Like you have, you know, however you want to judge or grade yourself on 
<clears throat> how you might have handled things. You are so resilient and you led your family through this. Like you were there, like, you know, your husband had to travel, he had to do things, or you were the one, the glue. Right. Now that we're here, I'm the more relaxed parent. I'm just like, things don't matter. More so than before you think? Yes, very much so. Um, so what is like your big takeaway from this whole, like if you had a universal message for yourself, like what, you know, having gone through the storm, the survival, the rebuilding of your life, right now to where you are, which is basically in a great place, it seems. What's your, what's the thing that you will always remind yourself of? That, that you can do it. I mean, you look at situations, I think that everybody's guilty of this statement. I could never do that. Yeah. I mean, people, when, back before the storm, I, I told a few people about us, eventually having to move away, you know, relocate from Panama city and several people's responses were, I could never do that. Yeah. And my thoughts are, well, I mean, you, you have to do that if, if your livelihood depends on it. I mean, yeah. our, my husband is the breadwinner of our family. I mean, yeah. he was getting a better opportunity. We have to do this. Mm -hmm. um, and then you see people like we, we watched hurricane Katrina. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were thinking, we watched it on the news, all the coverage, the aftermath. We're like, we could never survive that. We could never do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can. I really thought I wasn't strong before, but I think I am now. I mean, my takeaway from this is that I'm a stronger person than I ever thought or gave my credit, myself credit for. What would you tell another woman in your situation eight months ago? First of all, I mean, I don't think that I've handled a lot of it um, without anxiety. That it, it's definitely been mm -hmm. with anxiety. I mean, don't second guess yourself. I mean, do mm -hmm. what you think is best for your children. Yeah. Try to stay positive, even though it's the hardest thing you can do sometimes. Know your self-worth, I guess. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't know that. Yeah. But now you see how valuable you are because you've been able to do all of this. Right. And when I see my children, I definitely have, um, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say I don't have major issues from that. Um, I have, I have deep rooted issues from the loss of my father. I believe it's like, being separated from loved ones, especially my children. I don't like to be away from them at all. And this storm was one of my worst fears, a huge disaster like that happening and my family not being together. That's also reality sometimes. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're going to be going to school soon at a school that I don't work at. Yeah, that's which is, a little bit different. It's terrifying to me, but I mean, reality is you don't go to school with your children, right? but it's just hard. And I'm, I'm hoping to join a gym and get into stuff for myself. Yeah. I'm a big believer in self-care is the best medicine and then therapy because you deserve to be able to understand yourself and why you feel certain things and have the tools 
to get through that because you're, it's going to be hard. It will be hard. There's no doubt about that will be hard. Something else will come up that will be difficult. There's always going to be a hurdle. And, and because you have suffered this trauma, a couple of these traumas, you're, you know, you are, it's going to keep coming up. There's definitely been some hard days here recently because mm -hmm. I'm unpacked now and the house is all set up and there's less for me to do to stay busy. Mm -hmm. So there's, there've been moments, you know, where I feel like very anxious, mm -hmm. but I mean, I just try to do something like go outside and I've been planting flowers and okay. just to get my mind off of things. Mm -hmm. Or just go hang out with my kids. I'm excited for you and for what your, you know, your future holds and, and just this whole beautiful process and just what you have to offer, you know, the people that you do go to see when you go home, when I say home, you know, your hometown, when you go to see your mom and your sister and your friends, um, like the, the hope that you can offer them. There's actually a, um, a verse that I always refer to in in times like that, like, especially right after the storm, mm -hmm. Isaiah 66, nine, I will not cause pain without allowing new to be born. There will be beautiful from this storm, oh. but I mean, this hasn't been seen yet, I guess. Yeah. Do you remember yourself as a little girl? I mean, for the most part, yeah. Yeah. Is there something about you, a, like a quality that you had when you were a little girl that you, like if you could say, I want to keep that, I don't want life to take that from me. I want to keep that quality and not, you know, lose it along the way. Like, is there one of those things about you as a little girl that you would want to have, possess or embody now? Bring it back. Uh, compassion for others. I've always had a huge giving heart. I mean, I've always... Yeah. Loved people and, and I've actually, you said empathy earlier. Mm -hmm. And it, I mean, I can always, that's one thing that I've always been able to do is empathize with others. Because, I guess because of what I've been through, I don't know. I mean, at an early age, sometimes it's even to a fault because it makes me upset. And I remember being a little girl and I would see people like, you know, in, in certain circumstances and it would make me sad. I mean, yeah. upset. My, my children are both actually like that. Do you see that in them and you're like, gosh, like you love it for them because it's a beautiful quality, but then you also, it hurts you because you see them hurting for something that you literally can't do anything about. It's somebody exactly. else came. Is there a figure that, or someone that inspires you on a regular basis? It would be my mom. Yeah. What is that? What is it about your mom that you admire the most? Her strength, um, her advice, um, as much as I hated it when I was a teenager, mm -hmm. she was always right. Yeah. She always has been. I mean, her strength when we lost my dad, I mean, that was the love of her life and She'll never be quite the same, but she survived and she was a really good mom to my sister and I, yeah. and you know, something like that can put you over the edge and put you into a horrible depression. But we were always her 
priority. And we knew that. You have any guilty pleasures? Like, you know, I don't, I don't want to say vices because it doesn't have to be a vice, but like something that you're like, this is like the, the one thing that makes me really happy. And then I treat myself and it benefits no one else and it's selfish, whatever. Reality TV. Ooh. I like that. Like Real Housewives of everything. Everything. Yes. yes. Anything on Bravo. Love it. Love me some Bravo. So what's your goal right now for yourself? Like, what are you going to do for yourself to make yourself happy? It's like to make yourself whole and feel, feel good. Losing weight was the biggest thing. And I know that that sounds vain and well, it's health. It's your health and how you feel about yourself. Um, we have really bad heart problems in, in my mom's oh. side. Well, both sides of my family actually, but especially the women mm -hmm. and, um, my doctor always talks to me about that. And so I was, I was like ashamed of myself for gaining so much weight. I want to be happy, like with myself. I want to mm -hmm. self-help would be great. Um, therapy. Yeah. Working out. I've been able to lose the weight, but I haven't really been able to exercise because every moment I have, I spend with my kids and I'm not yeah. going to go put them in a gym daycare so right. I can go work out because I just feel, then I feel guilty. Yeah. So when they start school, I would love to do yoga or yeah. start working out. I feel like it will be therapeutic mm -hmm. also. I think that it's so just great to have ideas of what you want to do to make yourself happy. Do you, I, I, we always say, I wish I did not care what other people thought of me. It would be great to be that person. I, I was at a hotel in New Orleans. I was at the front desk and there was a girl in front of me at the front desk who had basically a denim thong on. Oh. It was like jean shorts, but like not the short, like just the seam of the shorts. And my heart, my mind went to like, why is she wearing that? And then my mind went, if I'm trying to reprogram myself, it went to like, you know what? I wish I loved myself so much that I too would walk to the front desk Me in too. a denim thong, you know? And so too. it's just, it's really, it's funny because like, I still have those moments where I'm like, why? But but you know what? I wish I loved myself that much that I just didn't care. 100% the same. And I struggle with that. Yeah. All the time. How do you think other women perceive you? I would like for them to perceive me as a kind person that doesn't care about appearance or anything and just loves people and loves to talk to them. Mm -hmm. And I do love to talk to people and I do try to always be the friendly person. I have this really kind of weird trait that kind of makes me and probably other people uncomfortable. Sometimes I, I'm a nervous talker. Okay. I don't like silence or awkwardness and I don't like other people to feel awkward, especially. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I have to like, overcompensate and just talk to them and make them feel comfortable. And in, in the reality, they're probably like wishing I would stop. I always want, I always tell my kids be the nice kid. Mm -hmm. So I would like for people to perceive me as the nice, the nice girl. The nice yeah. person. It's, I think it's cool when people are so authentic that it's who you are on the inside. It does. It shines on the outside. Um, I love real people. Yeah. And I, I, I hope that I seem and come off as a real person because I think I, so. yeah. before the storm, I would say it was to seem like I have it together because I don't, mm -hmm. but I've learned that very few people do. 
I'll, I'll do my hair and my makeup and I'll have on the perfect clothes. So it seems like I have it together, but I mean, that's not reality. Yeah, no, it's good. And that's a like profound statement because it's so, so true. Like we can all be Instagram perfect. It's, it's unfair to us to live that way and nobody has it together. It, it really is. You're exactly right. <laughs> All right. So this is, I, I call it a quick fire. You could literally tell me the first thing that comes to your mind when I ask you these things. It's silly, fun stuff. Like, how do you feel about fake eyelashes? Love them. Same. Love them. Same. What about mermaids? Love them. What about vaccination? Pro. Short, short. Short, shorts? Like Daisy Dukes. Oh, can't do it. But um, I'm very proud for people who can. Self-tanner. Every day. Yeah. I cannot use, I can't do sun or tanning beds or anything like that mm. ever again in my life because I had my first skin cancer removed at 22. So I went recently and I have a really great relationship with my dermatologist. He's a physician's assistant oh, wow. in Panama City. He's amazing. I said, listen, I have another one behind my ear. I know what it is. I just wish you would just go ahead and cut it off. And he said, I'll biopsy it. So he did, and I, I heard back from his office, and the, the girl said, she sounded really super young and cute on the phone. Mrs. Howell, um, we got your results back, and it's benign. And I said, oh, that's wonderful. Mine are never benign. And I said, well, what was it? She said, an age spot. <laughs> oh, awesome. Thank yeah. you. Um, what about religion? It's huge in my life. Yeah. Um, pink things. I like them. Mm -hmm. I'm not an all pink person. I'm more so a black person. You see? Same. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, how do you feel about sweet potatoes? Oh, I love them over, over regular potatoes. You're a true Southern girl. Um, what about jellyfish? I actually like anything jellyfish like patterned. Yeah. But I mean, I'm not a huge fan of them in the water when they sting you. Yeah. Have you ever been stung by a jellyfish? Yes. I have a horrible memory of what, <laughs> when I was a kid. Yeah. Stung me um, in a one piece bathing suit. And my mom had to like snatch my bathing suit down in front of people. To oh. Yeah. It was terrible. That's like trauma number three right there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, random acts of kindness. I think there should be more of that, but I, I love, that's probably my most favorite thing. Yeah, that's cool. Um, giving compliments. I don't think you can ever give enough compliments. What about accepting compliments? I need work on that. I make my husband uncomfortable because I will tell like, like servers in a restaurant or like whoever he's like, you make them uncomfortable. But I mean, I feel like women need to hear that. Yeah. Anybody, even anybody, anybody. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're all so hard on ourselves all the time. I know I am. So, I mean, I feel like if you're having a great hair day, that's something to be celebrated and by golly, you should hear it. Amen. I totally agree with you. Is there anything else that you would want to share with people or what you would want people to know about you, about your life, about you as a woman? I guess just 
that we should all not be so hard on ourselves because that is my worst trait. It's hard to be, it's hard to be a woman sometimes. Yeah, it is. We, we play a lot of roles. Kudos to you for being able to do this in the most difficult time of your life and of many people's lives and being immersed in this and staying, you stay there for so long. You just, you did such an amazing job and, and I honor you because, you know, I mean, just seeing you in that moment of crisis before, and then seeing you even a, a month after, and then seeing you now, it's just, it's beautiful. And I'm so excited for you. And um, you are going to inspire a lot of people. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the MCOWO podcast. To learn more, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Emerald Coast Women and visit us on the web at mcowo.com. That's www.emcowo.com.